section forty one of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lily craik chapter four part seventeen gammer girton's needle ralph royster doyster is in every way a very superior production to grammar girton's needle which before the discovery of udall's piece had the credit of being the first regular english comedy at the same time it must be admitted that the superior antiquity assigned to ralph royster doyster is not very conclusively made out all that we know with certainty with regard to the date of the play is that it was in existence in fifteen fifty one the oldest edition of gammer girton's needle is dated fifteen seventy five but how long the play may have been composed before that year is uncertain the title page of the fifteen seventy five edition describes it as played on the stage not long ago in christ's college in cambridge and wharton on the authority of a manuscript memorandum by oldys the eminent antiquary of the early part of the last century says that it was written and first printed in fifteen fifty one wright also in his historia histrionica first printed in sixteen sixty nine states it as his opinion that it was written in the reign of edward the sixth in refutation of all this it is alleged that it could not have been produced so early because john still afterwards bishop of bath and wells the author of it was not born until fifteen forty three and consequently in fifteen fifty two taking wharton's latest date would only have been nine years old but the evidence that bishop still was the author of gammer girton's needle is exceedingly slight the play is merely stated on the title page to have been made by mr s master of arts and even if there was as is asserted no other master of arts of christ college whose name began with s at the time when this title page was printed the author of the play is not stated to have been of that college nor if he were is it necessary to assume that he was living in fifteen seventy five on the whole therefore while there is no proof that ralph royster doyster is older than the year fifteen fifty one it is by no means certain that gammer girton's needle was not written in that same year this right pithy pleasant and merry comedy as it is designated on the title page is like udall's play regularly divided into acts and scenes and like it too is written in rhyme the language and versification being on the whole perhaps rather more easy than flowing a circumstance which more than any external evidence that has been produced would incline us to assign it to a somewhat later date but it is in all respects a very tame and poor performance the plot if so it can be called meagre to insipidity and silliness the characters only a few slightly distinguished varieties of the lowest life and the dialogue in general as feeble and 
undramatic as the merest monotony can make it its merriment is of the coarsest and most boisterous description even where it is not otherwise offensive but the principal ornament wherewith the author endeavours to enliven his style is a brutal filth and grossness of expression which is the more astounding when we consider that the piece was the production in all probability of a clergyman at least if not of one who afterwards became a bishop and that it was certainly represented before a learned and grave university there is nothing of the same high seasoning in ralph royster doister though that play seems to have been intended only for the amusement of a common london audience the second act of gammer girton's needle is introduced by a song i cannot eat but little meat my stomach is not good etc which is the best thing in the whole play and which is well known from having been quoted by wharton who describes it as the earliest chanson a boire or drinking ballad of any merit in the language and observes that it has a vein of ease and humour which we should not expect to have been inspired by the simple beverage of those times but this song is most probably not by the author of the play it appears to be merely a portion of a popular song of the time which is found elsewhere complete and has recently been so printed from a manuscript of the sixteenth century by dr dyce in his edition of skelton we will give as a specimen of the language of gammer girton's needle the introductory speech to the first act which is put into the mouth of a character called dickon the bedlam that is one of those mendicants who affected a sort of half-madness and were known by the name of bedlam beggars many a mile have i walked divers and sundry ways and many a good man's house have i been at in my days many a gossip's cup in my time have i tasted and many a brooch and spite have i both turned and basted many a piece of bacon have i had out of their balks in running over the country with long and were walks yet came my foot never within those door cheeks to seek flesh or fish garlic onions or leeks that ever i saw a sort in such a plight as here within this house appeareth to my sight there is howling and scowling all cast in a dump with wooling and puling as though they had lost a trump sighing and sobbing they weep and they wail i marvel in my mind what the devil they ail the old trot sits groaning with alas and alas and tib wrings her hands and takes on in worse case with poor cock their boy they be driven in such fits i fear me the folks be not well in their wits ask them what they ail or who brought them in this state they answer not at all but alack and well away when i saw it booted not out at doors i hide me and caught a slip of bacon when i saw none spied me which i intend not far hence unless my purpose fail shall serve for a shoeing horn to draw on two pots of ale misogynist probably of earlier date than gammer girton's needle is another example of the regular drama which like ralph royster doister has been but lately recovered a play entitled misogynist the only copy of which is in manuscript and is dated fifteen seventy seven an allusion however in the course of the dialogue would seem to prove that the play must have been composed about the year fifteen sixty to the prologue is appended the name of thomas richards who has therefore been assumed to be the author the play as contained in the manuscript consists only of the unusual number of four acts 
but the story nevertheless appears to be completed for a further account of misogynists we must refer the reader to mr collier's very elaborate analysis only remarking that the piece is written throughout in rhyming quatrains not couplets and that the language would indicate it to be of about the same date with gammer girton's needle it contains a song which for fluency and spirit may very well bear to be compared with the drinking song in that drama neither in the contrivance and conduct of the plot however nor in the force with which the characters are exhibited does it evince the same free and skilful hand with ralph royster doyster although it is interesting for some of the illustrations which it affords of the manners of the time one of the dramatis personae in particular who is seldom absent from the stage Kyrgyz, the buffoon or fool kept by the family whose fortunes form the subject of the piece must as mr collier remarks have been a very amusing character in his double capacity of rustic simpleton and artful mischief-maker there are few pieces mr collier adds in the whole range of our ancient drama which display the important character of the domestic fool in anything like so full and clear a light chronicle histories bales king john etc if the regular drama thus made its first appearance among us in the form of comedy the tragic muse was at least not far behind there is some ground for supposing indeed that one species of the graver drama of real life may have begun to emerge rather sooner than comedy out of the shadowy world of the old allegorical representations that namely which was long distinguished from both comedy and tragedy by the name of history or chronicle history consisting to adopt mr collier's definition of certain passages or events detailed by analysts put into a dramatic form often without regard to the course in which they happened the author sacrificing chronology situation and circumstance to the superior object of producing an attractive play of what may be called at least the transition from the moral play to the history we have an example in bale's lately recovered drama of king john written in all probability some years before the middle of the sixteenth century in which while many of the characters are still allegorical abstractions others are real personages king john himself pope innocent cardinal pandolphus stephen langton and other historical figures moving about in odd intermixture with such mere notional spectres as the widowed britannia imperial majesty nobility clergy civil order treason verity and sedition the play is accordingly described by mr collier the editor as occupying an intermediate place between moralities and historical plays and it is he adds the only known existing specimen of that species of composition of so early a date the other productions that are extant of the same mixed character are all of the latter half of the century such as that entitled tom tyler and his wife supposed to have been first printed about fifteen seventy eight although the oldest known edition is a reprint dated sixteen sixty one the conflict of conscience called a comedy by nathaniel woods minister of norwich fifteen eighty one etc tragedy of gorboduc blank verse but the era of genuine tragedies and historical plays had already commenced some years before these last mentioned pieces saw the light on the eighteenth of january fifteen sixty two was shown before the queen's most excellent majesty as the old title pages of the printed play inform us in her highness court of whitehall by the gentlemen of the inner temple the tragedy of gorboduc otherwise entitled the tragedy of ferrex and porrex the production of the same thomas sackville who has already engaged our attention as by far the most remarkable writer in the mirror for magistrates and of thomas norton who is said to have been a puritan clergyman and who had already acquired 
a poetic reputation though in a different province of the land of song as one of the coadjutors of sternhold and hopkins in their metrical version of the psalms on the title page of the first edition printed in fifteen sixty five which however was surreptitious it is stated that the three first acts were written by norton and the two last by sackville and although this announcement was afterwards withdrawn it was never expressly contradicted and it is not improbable that it may have a general foundation of truth it must be confessed however that no change of style gives any indication which it is easy to detect of a succession of hands and that judging by this criterion we should rather be led to infer that in whatever way the two writers contrived to combine their labours whether by the one retouching and improving what the other had rough sketched or by the one taking the quieter and humbler the other the more impassioned scenes or portions of the dialogue they pursued the same method throughout the piece charles lamb expresses himself willing to believe that lord buckhurst supplied the more vital parts at the same time he observes that the style of this old play is stiff and cumbersome like the dresses of its times and that though there may be flesh and blood underneath we cannot get at it in truth gorboduc is a drama only in form in spirit and manner it is wholly undramatic the story has no dramatic capabilities no evolution either of action or of character although it affords some opportunities for description and eloquent declamation neither was there anything of specially dramatic aptitude in the genius of sackville to whom we may safely attribute whatever is most meritorious in the composition any more than there would appear to have been in spencer or in milton illustrious as they both stand in the front line of the poets of their country and of the world gorboduc accordingly is a most unaffecting and uninteresting tragedy as would also be the noblest book of the fairy queen or of paradise lost the portion of either poem that soars the highest if it were to be attempted to be transformed into a drama by merely being divided into acts and scenes and cut up into the outward semblance of dialogue in whatever abundance all else of poetry might be outpoured the spirit of dialogue and of dramatic action would not be there gorboduc however though a dull play is in some other respects a remarkable production for the time the language is not dramatic but it is throughout singularly correct easy and perspicuous in many parts it is even elevated and poetical and there are some passages of strong painting not unworthy of the hand to which we owe the induction to the legend of the duke of buckingham in the mirror for magistrates the piece has accordingly won much applause in quarters where there was little feeling of the true spirit of dramatic writing as the exposition of passion in action and where the chief thing demanded in a tragedy was a certain orderly pomp of expression and monotonous respectability of sentiment to fill the ear and tranquillize rather than excite and disturb the mind sir philip sidney while he finds fault with gorboduc for its violation of the unities of time and place declares it to be full of stately speeches and well-sounding phrases climbing to the height of seneca in his style and as full of notable morality which it doth most delightfully teach and so obtained the very end of poesy it grieves him he adds that it is so very defectuous in the circumstances that is the unities because that must prevent it from remaining for ever as an exact model of all tragedies rymer terms it a fable better turned for tragedy than any on this side the alps and affirms that it might have been a better direction to shakespeare and ben jonson than any guide they have had the luck to follow pope has delivered his opinion to the like effect telling us that the writers of the succeeding age might have improved by copying from this drama a propriety in the sentiments and dignity in the sentences and an unaffected perspicuity of style which are essential to tragedy 
one peculiarity of the more ancient national drama retained in gorboduc is the introduction before every act of a piece of machinery called the dumb show in which was shadowed forth by a sort of allegorical exhibition the part of the story that was immediately to follow this custom survived on the english stage down to a considerably later date the reader may remember that shakespeare though he rejected it in his own dramas has introduced the play acted before the king and queen in hamlet by such a prefigurative dumb show another expedient which shakespeare has also on two occasions made use of namely the assistance of a chorus is also adopted in gorboduc but rather by way of mere decoration and to keep the stage from being at any time empty as in the old greek drama than to carry forward or even to explain the action as in henry the fifth and pericles it consists to quote the description given by wharton of four ancient and sage men of britain who regularly close every act the last accepted with an ode in long line stanzas drawing back the attention of the audience to the substance of what has just passed and illustrating it by recapitulatory moral reflections on poetical or historical allusions these effusions of the chorus are all in rhyme as being intended to be of the same lyrical character with those in the greek plays but the dialogue in the rest of the piece is in blank verse of the employment of which in dramatic composition it affords the earliest known instance in the language the first modern experiment in this strange metre as it was then called had as has already been noticed been made only a few years before by lord surrey in his translation of the second and fourth books of the aeneid which was published in fifteen fifty seven but must have been written more than ten years before surrey having been put to death in january fifteen forty seven in the meantime the new species of verse had been cultivated in several original compositions by nicholas grimold from whom in the opinion of wharton the rude model exhibited by surrey received new strength elegance and modulation grim old's pieces in blank verse were first printed in fifteen fifty seven along with surrey's translation and toddle's collection entitled songs and sonnets of uncertain authors and we are not aware that there was any more english blank verse written or given to the world till the production of gorboduc in that case sackville would stand as our third writer in this species of verse in the use of which also he may be admitted to have surpassed grimold fully as much as the latter improved upon surrey indeed it may be said to have been gorboduc that really established blank verse in the language for its employment from the time of the appearance of that tragedy became common in dramatic composition while in other kinds of poetry notwithstanding two or three early attempts such as gascoigne's steel glass in fifteen seventy six asks elizabetha triumphans in fifteen eighty eight and Belanza's tale of two swans in fifteen ninety it never made head against rhyme nor acquired any popularity till it was brought into repute by the paradise lost published a full century after sackville's play it is remarkable that blank verse is never mentioned or alluded to by sir philip sidney in his defence of poesy which could not have been written more than a few years before fifteen eighty six the date of sidney's death at the age of thirty-two yet he was acquainted with gorboduc as it appears and in one part of his tract he treats expressly on the subject of versification of which he says there are two sorts the one ancient the other modern the ancient marked the quantity of each syllable and according to that framed his verse the modern observing only number with some regard to the accent the chief life of it standeth in that like sounding of the words which we call rhyme 
even in dramatic composition the use of blank verse appears to have been for some time confined to pieces not intended for popular representation gorboduc as we have seen was brought out before the queen at whitehall and although after that example mr collier observes blank verse was not unfrequently employed in performances written expressly for the court and for representation before select audiences many years elapsed before this heroic measure without rhyme was adopted on the public stages of london other early dramas within a fortnight after the first performance of gorboduc it is recorded that another historical play entitled julius caesar was acted at court but of this piece of affording the earliest instance on record mr collier apprehends in which events from the roman history were dramatized in english nothing is known beyond the name to about the same time or it may be even a year or two earlier is probably to be assigned another early drama founded on the story of romeo and juliet as is inferred from the assertion of arthur brooke in an advertisement prefixed to his poem upon that subject printed in fifteen sixty two that he had seen the same argument lately set forth on the stage but whether this was a regular tragedy or only a moral play we have no data for conjecturing from about this date says mr collier until shortly after the year fifteen seventy the field as far as we have the means of judging seems to have been pretty equally divided between the later morals and the earlier attempts in tragedy comedy and history in some pieces of this date as well as subsequently we see endeavours made to reconcile or combine the two different modes of writing but morals afterwards generally gave way and yielded the victory to a more popular and more intelligible species of performance the license to james burbage and others in fifteen seventy four mentions comedies tragedies interludes and stage plays and in the act of common counsel against their performance in the city in the following year theatrical performances are designated as interludes tragedies comedies and shows including much more than the old miracle plays or more recent moral plays which would be embraced by the words interludes shows and even stage plays but to which the terms tragedies and comedies found in both instruments could not be so properly applicable we may add in order to finish the subject here that in the license granted by james i in sixteen o three to burbage shakespeare and their associates they are authorized to play comedies tragedies histories interludes morals pastorals stage plays and such other like and that exactly the same enumeration is found in the patent granted to the prince palatine's players in sixteen twelve in a new patent granted to burbage's company in sixteen twenty and also in charles the first's patent to hemmings and condal in sixteen twenty five morals properly so called however had disappeared from the stage long before this last date though something of their peculiar character still survived in the pageant or mask it may be observed that there is no mention of morals any more than of miracle plays in the catalogue of the several species of dramatic entertainments which shakespeare has put into the mouth of polonius and hamlet and in which he seems to glance slyly at the almost equally extended string of distinctions in the royal patents of the greater number of the plays that are recorded to have been produced in the first twenty years after the appearance of gorboduc only the names have been preserved from which it cannot in all cases be certainly determined to what class the piece belonged from the list extracted from the accounts of the master of the revels of those represented before the court between fifteen sixty eight and fifteen eighty and which no doubt were mostly the same that were exhibited in the common playhouses it appears probable that out of fifty-two about eighteen were founded upon subjects of ancient history or fable twenty-one upon modern history romances and stories of a more general kind and that of the remainder seven were comedies and six morals of these fifty-two dramatic productions mr collier observes 
not one can be said to have survived although there may be reason to believe that some of them formed the foundation of plays acted at a later period among the very few original plays of this period that have come down to us is one entitled damon and pythias which was acted before the queen at christ church oxford in september fifteen sixty six and was the production of richard edwards who in the general estimation of his contemporaries seems to have been accounted the greatest dramatic genius of his day at least in the comic style his damon and pythias does not justify their laudation to a modern taste it is a mixture of comedy and tragedy between which it would be hard to decide whether the grave writing or the gay is the rudest and dullest the play is in rhyme but some variety is produced by the measure or length of the line being occasionally changed mr collier thinks that the notoriety edwards attained may probably have been in great part owing to the novelty of his subjects damon and pythias being one of the earliest attempts to bring stories from profane history upon the english stage edwards however besides his plays wrote many other things in verse some of which have an ease and even an elegance that neither surrey himself nor any other writer of that age has excelled most of these shorter compositions are contained in the miscellany called the paradise of dainty devices which indeed is stated on the title-page to have been devised and written for the most part by edwards who had however been dead ten years when the first edition appeared in fifteen seventy six among them are the very beautiful and tender lines which have been often reprinted in illustration of terence's apothem amantium iri amoris redenta gratio est or as it is here rendered in the burden of each stanza the falling out of faithful friends renewing is of love edwards who towards the end of his life was appointed one of the gentlemen of the chapel royal and master of the queen's singing boys united says wharton all those arts and accomplishments which ministered to popular pleasantry he was the first fiddle the most fashionable sonneteer the readiest rhymer and the most facetious mimic of the court another surviving play produced during this interval is the tragedy of tancred and grismond founded upon boccaccio's well-known story which was presented before elizabeth at the inner temple in fifteen sixty eight the five acts of which it consists being severally written by five gentlemen of the society of whom one the author of the third act was christopher hatton afterwards the celebrated dancing lord chancellor the play however was not printed until fifteen ninety two when robert wilmot the writer of the fifth act gave it to the world as the title-page declares newly revived and polished according to the decorum of these days the meaning of this announcement mr collier conceives to be that the piece was in the first instance composed in rhyme but rhymed plays having by the year fifteen ninety two gone out of fashion even on the public stage wilmot's reviving and polishing consisted chiefly in cutting off many of the tags to the lines or turning them differently the tragedy of tancred and gisman which like gorboduc has a dumb show at the commencement and a chorus at the close of every act is he observes the earliest english play extant the plot of which is known to be derived from an italian novel to this earliest stage in the history of the regular drama belong finally some plays translated or adapted from the ancient from foreign languages which doubtless also contributed to excite and give an impulse to the national taste and genius in this department there is extant an old english printed version in rhyme of the andrea of terence which although without date is believed to have been published before fifteen thirty and the moral or interlude called jack juggler which is founded upon the amphitruo of plautus appears from internal evidence to have been written in the reign of edward the sixth or mary though not printed till after the accession of elizabeth 
these early and very rude attempts were followed by a series of translations of the tragedies of seneca all likewise in rhyme the first of which the troas by jasper haywood son of the celebrated john haywood was published in fifteen fifty nine the second the thyestes also by haywood in fifteen sixty the third the hercules furens by the same hand in fifteen sixty one the fourth the oedipus by alexander neville in fifteen sixty three the fifth and sixth the medea and the agamemnon by john studley in fifteen sixty six the octavia by thomas noose was entered on the stationer's books in the same year but no copy of that date is now known to exist versions of the hippolytus and the hercules Eteus by studley and of the thebaeus by thomas newton were added when the whole were republished together in fifteen eighty one under the title of seneca his ten tragedies translated into english of the authors of these translations haywood and studley in particular have some claim as mr collier remarks to be viewed in the light of original dramatic poets they added whole scenes and choruses wherever they thought them necessary but haywood and his coadjutors in this undertaking do not appear to have had any view of bringing seneca upon the english stage nor is it probable that any of their translated dramas were ever acted in fifteen sixty six however the supposees a prose translation of george gascoigne from gly supposiety of ariosto and another play in blank verse entitled jocasta taken from the phoenici of euripides by gascoigne and francis kinwell marsh were both represented at gray's inn the jocasta was therefore the second english play written in blank verse it is says wharton partly a paraphrase and partly an abridgment of the greek tragedy there are many omissions retrenchments and transpositions the chorus the characters and the substance of the story are entirely retained and the tenor of the dialogue is often preserved through whole scenes some of the beautiful odes of the greek chorus are neglected and others substituted in their places newly written by the translators these substitutions however sometimes display considerable poetic talent and the versification throughout the piece both in the old metre in which the choral passages are written and in the new flows with a facility of smoothness which as contrasted with any english verse written twenty years before indicates a rate of progress during that space in the subsidence of the language into comparative regularity of grammatical and syntactical forms which is very surprising wharton remarks as a proof of the rapidity with which the work of refinement or change went on in the language at this time that in the second edition of this play printed again with gascoigne's poems in fifteen eighty seven it was thought necessary to affix marginal explanations of many words not long before in common use but now become obsolete and unintelligible in the present instance this was done as the author tells us at the request of a lady who did not understand poetical words or terms but it was a practice occasionally followed down to a much later date to all the quarto editions for example of joshua sylvester's metrical translation of dubartus sixteen o five sixteen o eight sixteen thirteen there is appended a brief index explaining most of the hardest words scattered throughout this whole work for ease of such as are least exercised in those kind of readings it consists of thirty double column pages and may contain about six hundred words second stage of the regular drama peel at green it thus appears that numerous pieces entitled by their form to be accounted as belonging to the regular drama had been produced before the year fifteen eighty but nevertheless no dramatic work had yet been written which can be said to have taken its place in our literature or to have almost any interest for succeeding generations on account of its intrinsic merits and apart from its mere antiquity 
the next ten years disclose a new scene within that space a crowd of dramatists arose whose writings still form a portion of our living poetry and present the regular drama no longer only painfully struggling into the outward shape proper to that species of composition but having the breath of life breathed into it and beginning to throb and stir with the pulsations of genuine passion we can only here shortly notice some of the chief names in this numerous company of our early dramatists properly so called one to whom much attention has been recently directed is george peel the first of whose dramatic productions the arraignment of paris a sort of mask or pageant which had been represented before the queen was printed anonymously in fifteen eighty four but peel's most celebrated drama is his love of king david and fair bethsabe first published in fifteen ninety nine two or three years after the author's death this play mr campbell has called the earliest fountain of pathos and harmony that can be traced in our dramatic poetry and he adds there is no such sweetness of versification and imagery to be found in our blank verse anterior to shakespeare david and bathsheba was in all probability written not anterior to shakespeare but after he had been at least six or seven years a writer for the stage and had produced perhaps ten or twelve of his plays including some of those in which to pass over all other and higher things the music of the verse has ever been accounted the most perfect and delicious we know at least that the midsummer night's dream romeo and juliet the merchant of venice richard the second king john and richard the third were all written and acted if not all printed before peel's play was given to the world but independently of this consideration it must be admitted that the best of peel's blank verse though smooth and flowing and sometimes tastefully decorated with the embellishments of a learned and imitative fancy is both deficient in richness or even variety of modulation and without any pretensions to the force and fire of original poetic genius it may be true nevertheless as is conceded by mr collier one of the modern critics with whom peel has not found so much favour as with mr campbell and with mr dyce to whom we are indebted for the first collected edition of his plays that he had an elegance of fancy a gracefulness of expression and a melody of versification which in the earlier part of his career was scarcely approached another peel's pieces entitled the old wives tale a pleasant conceited comedy printed in fifteen ninety five has excited some curiosity from a resemblance it bears in the story though in little or nothing else to milton's mask of comus contemporary with peel was robert green the author of five plays besides one written in conjunction with a friend green died in fifteen ninety two and he appears only to have begun to write for the stage about fifteen eighty seven mr collier thinks that in facility of expression and in the flow of his blank verse he is not to be placed below peel but green's most characteristic attribute is his turn for merriment of which peel in his dramatic production shows little or nothing his comedy or farce rather is no doubt usually coarse enough but the turbid stream flows at least freely and abundantly among his plays is a curious one of, on the subject of the history of friar Bankin and friar bungay which is supposed to have been written in fifteen eighty eight or fifteen eighty nine though first published in fifteen ninety four this however is not so much a story of diablerie or as of mere legerdemain mixed like all the rest of green's pieces with a good deal of farcical incident and dialogue even the catastrophe in which one of the characters is carried off to hell being so managed as to impart no supernatural interest to the drama End of section forty one